Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today. Drum roll, please. We are talking about <laughs> what we did last year in terms of growing ginger, turmeric, and galangal. Uh, I think we've been hinting at this for a while now. Uh, today, we are going to spill everything. We're going to throw it out on the table. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of information about growing these three tropical spices here in Illinois. And what did we find out last year? We're going to dive into that. And you know I'm not going to do this by myself. I am joined, as always, by our co-host, uh, horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. It's, it's nice to finally get this off our back. I know, I know. I've just been itching and to talk about this. And so I'm so excited to share what we learned when it comes to ginger, turmeric, and galangal uh, growing with folks. And so, uh, yeah, I know you have you have a, a lot of uh, uh, pent-up uh, uh, baggage here, Ken. So <laughs> we're, we're going to unload today. I've also got bags of this stuff, too, that I still have <laughs> yeah. around the office. <laughs> it's like, what are we going to do with all this stuff? So, uh, yeah, hit us up if you want some. Um, and we are also joined by our co-host, local foods educator, Nick Frillman in the Bloomington Normal Office. Hey, Nick. Hey, Chris and Ken. It's good to be back and uh, glad to talk about this topic today. I was sad to miss the presentation on uh, these three crops at the Everything Local Conference in Springfield. So looking forward to diving in with you too. Well, this is going to be, we're going to, this is going to be the, the backstage uh, uh, presentation. So this is going to be uh, what you see behind the scenes here. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot more information, the gritty details. So yeah, we, we have uh, quite a bit to, to talk about this week, Nick. So if you wouldn't mind kicking us off with that, that first question on uh, the topic for this week. Yeah, not a problem. So, yep, uh, as Chris said, we're going to be flipping the tables and uh, I'm going to be uh, the main interviewer and uh, we're going to let the listeners uh, sit back, relax and listen to uh, what uh, Chris and Ken have to tell us about growing ginger, turmeric and galangal. Um, so without further ado, um, let's set the stage a little bit and say, um, let's say I'm a tomato and cucumber, high tunnel grower, um, vegetable farmer, etc. So I know a thing or two uh, about growing high value horticultural crops. Um, however, um, I've heard, I've never heard of growing any of these crops in the Midwest before. Um, I hadn't even heard about Galangal until the last couple of weeks myself. So um, I'm a grower, I've never heard of these three crops. Let's start with why in the world would I need to grow ginger, Galangal or turmeric if my cucumber and tomato rotation is working okay on my farm? Uh, that is a very good question. And so, um, I would say first off is examining how we have to grow these tropical spices and that is in a high tunnel or some form of season extension. And so uh, just uh, picture in your mind, a high tunnel uh, typically is going to be metal pipes uh, that are bent or that create the frame uh, that over which a plastic is then skinned over top. And um, you know, of, oftentimes the, the, the sizes of these can range anywhere from like, you know, 15 foot wide to, you know, 25 foot long, all the way to like 50 foot wide and a hundred foot long. So they can be big or small structures. Uh, and they're considered fairly permanent types of structures, although um, uh, they would be temporary, you know, not most are not concreted in the ground. Although I know some people do that with their high tunnels. So that creates 
an extension of the season in both the spring and the fall. And we, we need that when we're growing these tropical spices because they're such a long season crop. Now, where they would typically grow in India, they're out in the ground for, you know, eight to 10 months of the year. Uh, and they can't do that here in Illinois because we have this thing called winter uh, and they would not survive that. So we need that season extension uh, in order to do that. Now, what typically occupies that for uh, a tomato or a cucumber grower is going to be tomatoes and cucumbers because that gives you the most bang for your buck to help you pay off uh, the money that you invested in that structure. And so that's what you're typically going to see. But what initially got me started growing ginger and turmeric in the beginning was listening to Judson Reed, uh, who's a Cornell specialist at the same conference you mentioned, Nick, but back in 2016, I think. And he talked about how we could utilize these other high value spices and rotate them in to help break up some of the, the plant diseases that can occur with our solanaceous and cucurbit uh, crops. And so he's, he was talking about introducing a new uh, family of plants in there to help break up disease cycles. So that's, that's kind of where it all started. Man, that's fascinating. And uh, yeah, that, that definitely was uh, what I was waiting for. I was thinking maybe there would be an issue with um, growing, obviously with growing the same crop year after year in the same place, especially if you're talking about a fixed structure, like a concreted in a ground high tunnel or immobile high tunnel. Um, but then, yeah, again, um, yeah, uh, I guess the next question I have uh, kind of on that same vein is um, you mentioned getting the best bang for your buck from cucumbers and tomatoes from high tunnels. Um, what are the incentives, uh, monetary or otherwise, uh, to grow these crops? So I guess uh, let's start with monetary with Chris. And then, Ken, I know that this was your first year growing uh, just this past year. So maybe some, I don't know, non-monetary uh, incentives to grow these crops. Like, was it fun or interesting to see something new in a high tunnel? But yeah, let's start with you, Chris. Uh, so when Judson Reed was talking growing ginger in New York, he said, this was selling for $20 a pound. And I thought, holy cow, you know, what's a tomato go for? Well, that's, this is again, oh, six years ago. So, uh, you know, tomato back then, I don't know how many you know, tomatoes you get for a pound, but, um, you know, I would say probably $1.50 a pound of tomatoes. So, uh, but you can grow a lot of tomatoes per square foot. Now per square foot, um, I mean, that's kind of that value growers look at. How much money am I getting per square foot? I believe he, uh, Judson said, you know, tomatoes are still king in that. Mm -hmm. But in their research, it was tomatoes, ginger, cucumbers, and then kind of like intensive rotation of, of leafy crops. That was kind of the value per square foot that they were finding. Um, and I can't remember off the top of my head what that was. I think it was like 750 a square foot for ginger. Um, which is a lot. Um, and I think it might've been like nine or $10 for tomatoes per square foot. So it, it, it's a lot in, in terms of that. So it's a competitive crop monetarily mm -hmm. speaking. Um, now in the past, we have been partnering with other uh, commercial farm partners here in Illinois with grants in the past, um, just to try to figure this crop out, just to try to learn a little bit of its, uh, you know, kind of like what's good about it, you know, pros, cons. 
our commercial growers were selling ginger in rural Illinois for $24 a pound. Wow. Blew our minds. We did not expect that. Um, and it's hard to buy by the pound. So you sell by the ounce, dollar mm -hmm. fifty an ounce. You know, you can add that up. You get $24 a pound and they would sell out. Once people knew they had it, they would sell it every time. And then they get messages on, on Facebook or, you know, email or whatever saying, Hey, when are you going to have more of this stuff? And so wow. it became a, a valuable crop for them. Hmm. That's fascinating. Um, and then Ken, uh, I know again, that, that you, uh, have a little bit less experience, uh, growing ginger, but, um, you were one of the intrepid who, uh, attempted it last year. And uh, I have not done so yet. This will actually be my first year growing it, I hope. Um, we'll talk about that later. But uh, from the perspective of a newer grower, um, could you tell our listeners um, a little bit about maybe some of the non-monetary incentives uh, to grow these crops? Like, was it fun to see something new in the high tunnel or interesting? Uh, did it provide a story maybe for for you and your coworkers? Yeah, yeah. So I always like growing new stuff. So that was was definitely a benefit to it. Um, you know, we were out there working, we'd have people stop by and ask, you know, what's this? Why are you, why are you doing this? And and, and things <laughs> like that. And it was, and it's a pretty, uh, we'll get into this more later, but it's pretty, um, pretty low maintenance. Um, we didn't really have to do a whole lot of work with it. Maybe that's because it's the first year we've grown it in that location and we haven't had, you know, some issues build up, but, you know, water it and, and weed. And that was about all we had to do with it so there, there wasn't a lot of labor that we were putting into it either that is a valuable consideration and yeah back to chris's um kind of quote to us about the the dollar value per square foot of these crops when you're harvesting um maybe tomato is king still in terms of uh you know value per square foot and uh chris i don't know if that number was taking into account things like uh input costs and labor but Maybe if it doesn't, maybe the the less labor side of things that Ken just referenced uh, could equal out the the difference um, per per mm -hmm. pound. Yeah, I I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been mm -hmm. a number of years since I've I've looked over uh, Judson Reed's uh, publications that he did. I know there were some points where he mentioned labor. I don't mm -hmm. know if he figured that into the cost though per square mm -hmm. foot. Okay. Well, definitely, uh, yeah, farmers uh, and backyard growers' time and energy uh, in terms of labor is uh, super valuable, as I'm sure uh, everybody knows. But um, yeah, those are some really interesting uh, incentives um, to consider. And so, yeah, th that's some good information to know. And I guess we'll proceed on uh, with the next question here. And so that would be, uh, yeah, I think you alluded to it earlier, what plant family or families um, do these three crops belong to? Are they the same family? Are they different? And so, yeah, maybe getting a little more into what are the implications of that for avoiding plant disease in the high tunnel crop rotation and, and why is that so important? So that's a good question. And and after we implemented the idea, you know, that, the, uh, you know, originally was spurred in, in the brains of us uh, by Judson Reed, the idea of introducing a new plant family, and that is going to be the Zinsiberaceae, uh, and that there that includes ginger, turmeric, and galangal. So all three of these different spices are within that family, but they are separate species within that family. Um, and and what we pull out of the ground is going to be a rhizome, so a modified underground stem, which is kind of hard to get. I, 
it took me a few years to wrap my head around what that really means. Um, and we'll talk about that here later on when it comes to fertility, but it's, it's a stem. It's not a root. Um, and it's underground. And so we'll, we'll talk about that though here uh, when we get to fertility, because that makes a difference. Um, mm -hmm. But I think one important thing to note uh, when it comes to introducing this new plant family and breaking up diseases is learning about um, a very important disease when it comes to growing ginger specifically. And that is going to be a soil-borne bacterial wilt. Uh, it's known as ginger wilt. Um, and we can pop the, the scientific name below here, but uh, I believe it is, uh, it's a type of, it, it is the same bacterial wilt, unfortunately, that afflicts tomatoes. Oh, no. We didn't realize that at the outset. I needed to do a probably a better literature review. Um, but after looking at Hawaiian extension, uh, we, we saw that this particular disease, Ralstonia solanacearum, is that about right? Yeah, Ralstonia solanacearum, race four for ginger, mm -hmm. was a race one for tomatoes. So the strain that attacks ginger will weakly attack tomato, pepper, and eggplant. Uh, laboratory tests have shown that the strain that causes severe tomato wilt does not attack ginger. Um, there's a possibility under field conditions the tomato strain could be severe on ginger. Well, that seems like it's not the end of the world. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's really good to know for um, for growers, uh, big and small, um, is that again, ginger is um, vulnerable to Rostonia, right? Solina solinarium. I hope I said that right. Um, so it weakly affects tomatoes afterwards. So it's again just a general liability to like the nightshade family after ginger. So maybe that's all okay as long as maybe the cucumber rotation comes in after tomatoes, right? So you would go ginger, cucumber, tomato, well, and then maybe you want to do, maybe you want to do cucumber on the front and back end of ginger and, or, or this family of tropical spices and tomatoes so that they're separated at least one year by cucurbits. Hmm. Interesting. A nice. Puzzle. That would be a good way to go about that. Yeah. And that, just what Hawaiian extension, what they had found is that they, they researched, could they infect the ginger bacteria? Well, which is a, it's the same again. It's so the, the disease that affects ginger and tomatoes, also peppers that affects them. It's the same species, but they're different races. And what they found in the lab is that race four, which affects ginger, that they could not get the tomatoes infected with that race. Mm. but they didn't look at field conditions. Oh. And so growing in a laboratory or a greenhouse or very yeah. controlled settings is much different than growing out in the field with a lot of different stresses, whether it's environmental, insect, pest, weather, all that stuff. Um, and so they cannot say, hey, race four that affects ginger is not going to affect tomatoes. They just, the, the research is not there to determine that. and. This is a pretty bad disease for ginger. So Hawaii used to be our main supplier of ginger for the continental U.S. And uh, because this bacterial wilt is soil-borne and it persists in the soil, they lost that. Um, and so, so really, for the most part, growers in Hawaii, they have to grow hydroponically. They can't even use soil there. Um, oh. and, and really, for most 
what gen, what type of you know spices ginger primarily that they uh, you know ship over to mainland us it's hydroponically grown or it's it's just for seed pieces to produce or grow ginger here in mainland us actually most wow. of our ginger comes from india wow that is uh fascinating and so for any um uh potential phd candidates out there that want to do some uh some research um i don't know uh this sounds like a really interesting um uh field trial that could be set up relatively easily in the midwest yep. at relatively low cost so if i'm and, understanding correctly i'll I'll just summarize that the race of rostonia solanarium that uh dramatically in, uh, infects ginger um that that plant disease uh is the same plant disease that could impact um tomatoes but it's they're different races of that disease so uh it's been shown in a laboratory setting that they cannot infect one another but that has not been tested under field conditions that's correct i think they showed that the ginger race could infect tomatoes to some extent not as bad as the tomato race but the tomato race in the lab has not been shown to affect ginger mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but and not in the field and that's this is research in Hawaii and Hawaii they're trying to protect ginger because that's their main crop whereas here you know our bread and butter is going to be tomatoes mm -hmm. um and I did ask our plant pathologist uh Diane Ploa at the U of I plant clinic and she said we have not yet seen a, a Ralstonia solicarium race four mm -hmm. in mainland U.S. and Hawaii has also developed a, a, a PCR test which is something you could do right in the field you could pull up the ginger if you think it's a suspect take a sliver off of that and and use that throw it in a bag smash it up and put like a little litmus strip in there and it will tell you if you have that disease so wow um the so hawaii has developed that and they actually trained their ginger growers how to how to do that well that's all very reassuring so uh don't panic folks <laughs> it's yes. still possible to grow uh these tropical um uh, really cool sounding spices and then maybe some uh cucumbers as a buffer and then maybe tomatoes so uh anyway but it sounds like we're on the cutting edge of this research uh there's more work to be done as there always is with horticultural crops uh in laboratory and field conditions especially in high tunnels um so yeah i guess we'll leave that for later discussion and uh, maybe we can update our uh, listeners if we ever uh, hear a development on those uh, that side of things hopefully we won't which will be good news um but so moving on to our next question here uh we covered the incentives of uh growing these three crops we've talked about plant families and they're all uh supposedly in the same plant family so uh compared to the average money made per plant on tomato and cucumber um these uh we've heard that ginger compares pretty well um, between cucumber and uh, and tomato in our uh, Illinois high tunnels. But what about those others, uh, turmeric and galangal? Um, are those pretty comparable? Uh, so just when we look at ginger, we can mm -hmm. say it's comparable because ginger has been a globally traded spice probably for thousands of years. Um, it's in cuisine from, you know, from Asia, Australia, Pacific Islands, but then globally, Africa, Europe, um, and then, you know, as humans moved across the globe, it, ginger moved with it. And so in terms of cuisine, ginger is kind of in all, like, you look at European cuisine, ginger ale, 
uh, gingerbread. Uh, you know, we think of those as like mm-hmm. classic type of European type or maybe English food. Um, and, and so it, we all use ginger no matter where we're kind of at in, in, in the, in the globe, it, it's more used as an ingredient. So we're just more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. These other two. So I, I bet most uh, uh, folks listening or watching, they probably, they've heard of turmeric. Maybe you have some powdered turmeric in the spice cupboard that you rarely reach for. Um, I, I reach for it quite a bit. We do a lot of different types of stir fries and fried rices, and I always just throw powdered turmeric in there. Um, uh, but then there's this other one, this third one, Galangal, which was new to me <laughs> this last year. Ken, had you heard of Galangal before I had called you up and said, Hey, Ken, you want to grow this other one too? Uh, <laughs> I had not. That was, that was a first for me too. Yeah. So Galangal is totally new to a lot of people. And so how does this compare? How does turmeric and Galangal compare? Not very well. Um, mm-hmm. but there are growers who are interested. And so there's a few growers that actually met at this conference. So they, you know, they, they don't grow acres of this stuff. They'll grow a <laughs> row of this stuff and they mix it into kind of custom spice mixes that they create and they sell at farmer's markets or grocery stores. Um, but I, I think, so if folks are familiar with ginger, let's talk a little bit. Should we talk about right now? Like what are these other two things? Um, yeah. Okay. So turmeric is used a lot. We actually eat a lot of turmeric. We just don't know it. Um, turmeric, there's different types, but for the most part, there is a bright orange type, there's a bright red, and there's a bright yellow type. And a lot of these are used, and, and the flavoring's kind of earthy, um, kind of subdued, I would say. Um, and a lot of it, because of the coloring, is used as food coloring. Um, they put it in American cheese to give it that color. Oh, they that's... put it in mustard to give it that yellow color and an American mustard. <laughs> um, it, it, it's used a lot. We eat it a lot. We just don't know we're eating it. And so it, it is being used um, in, in a powdered form mostly. And that's the only way I really know how to use turmeric in a powdered form. Uh, Ken, did you use turmeric at all from the stuff we pulled out of the ground this year, the fresh root or rhizome, I should say? Yeah, I've graded it throwing it into stir fry and stuff and it stains your hands for a mm-hmm. day or two if you're not careful so you'll end up with yellow or, or orange hands but and i don't think i probably didn't put enough in you can really taste it a whole lot um we have <laughs> got so much of this stuff we just kind of throw it in there <laughs> just to see what happens mm-hmm. well i, I can seen... definitely vouch for uh the the use of turmeric and uh cuisine um actually last week um i was out sick and uh a uh, friend of mine sent me a chicken noodle soup recipe, but, or sorry, not chicken noodle, a chicken soup recipe. Um, but this one was a um, Indian twist. So it had ginger, um, it had turmeric, um, it had actually uh, ginger root and ginger powder, powdered turmeric. Um, and it didn't call for uh, turmeric root, but I happened to have some uh, in the fridge for something else that I made um, a while ago. Uh, my wife and I make uh, something that's called fire cider. Um, so it's mm-hmm. basically an infused apple cider vinegar with all sorts of stuff designed to just, you know, get the um, body moving, uh, get the circulatory system going uh, when you're sick, um, you know, anecdotally. And um, yeah, we chop up peppers and garlic and onion, um, along with um, ginger and turmeric, uh, both infused in that apple cider vinegar for 
four to six weeks. Um, and so that, that soup turned out really well and, um, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have, have felt as nice, um, you know, in the stomach when you're sick if it weren't for those two crops mm -hmm. in, in tandem. So yeah, they were, it was a really nice addition. Yeah. So, so turmeric, it, it is part of the cuisine. Most Americans are not as familiar with how to use it, but I think a lot of us have it, at least the powdered form in our, our spice rack. So, um, now, galangal, as we all said, this was new to us, and I had to do a lot of reading to kind of figure out what this was, and I found something out that when it comes to galangal, uh, this is also, it's a, it's a root or rhizome, keep saying root, it's a rhizome, but it's underground, and you pull it out of the ground, and when I, it, it's super strong, like you need a very sharp knife to cut this, um, but when you cut it open or you break it open, it smells like an evergreen. It has this oh. like piney scent to it, this like resiny pine scent to it. And when it comes to traditional Thai curry, this is a required ingredient. I often think like ginger must be a required curry ingredient. And they said, no, ginger is actually just kind of a flavor enhancer. This galangal, this is a required ingredient in a, in a traditional Thai curry. So, but it, it is a very interesting spice. We have not yet cooked with it. One of our farm partners up in Galesburg, they actually, uh, a chef bought it from them. And the chef was just amazed at the flavor, at the quality ingredient that it was. And she was very impressed with um, just, just being able to, to make a lot of different um, Asian dishes with Kalangal. Because um, you can't really find that here. <laughs> <laughs> in many states unless you go to like a specialty grocery store yeah so we used it for one recipe when i just get on the internet and search recipes for xyz and mm -hmm. one that popped up for glangle that was did not have like 15 steps and 30 different ingredients was <laughs> i think it was just a stir fry you just chopped it in like matchsticks and threw it in there mm -hmm. um so it was you know you got kind of got that piney taste in it so that i mean Depending on if you like that or not, you may or may not enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But it was it was all right. I'd, yeah. I'd eat it again. Okay. And I could definitely see um, these three crops, but uh, yeah, maybe even galangal. Uh, so we've we've talked about how ginger is very popular in rural Illinois. That's not maybe the case with turmeric, and maybe especially not with galangal. But I could definitely see how if there are any growers listening who might want to experiment in the Chicago market, where you know. Typically, lots of our uh, immigrant populations in Illinois live. Um, you know, there's whole uh, you know neighborhoods that are devoted to uh, you know specific groups of people, and the farmers markets there are just absolutely astounding in terms of what you can find on offering. And uh, it's really comforting for people to be able to buy ingredients that they remember from home. Uh, and so it would be really cool for uh, farmers to you know try and meet that demand. Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to do you have the market for it. Mm -hmm. ginger you know we know that because people use it a lot the like mentioned that the the turmeric and galangal are not as widely known and mm -hmm. widely used so if, if you've got that niche market you can probably i would assume you could probably make some halfway mm -hmm. decent money off of it yeah yeah so do your do your market research and i'll i'll say because you know most of the stuff that we grow you know at, at least as a university we can't sell that we can, but there's more paperwork involved, but so we can't sell that. 
so we give it away. Um, and so we've given away our ginger to a local uh, brewery in Macomb called Forgatonia. And they've actually made a couple brews with our ginger. Now, now I remember the, so the, their head brewer, Sean West, he actually, I gave him 30 pounds the first year. And I think he threw like 10 pounds in a brew, just a test brew. And he said, it came off so spicy. You mentioned the fire water. So this made me think of this. It was so spicy. He's like, I could never sell this. He's like, you know, it gets the sinuses cleared, but uh, I wouldn't be able to sell this. It's way too hot. He called it. So, um, you know, he's like, I, he threw in, I think maybe a, a pound into like the big, you know, kettle, uh, you know, that he kegs up batches. And so um, he, he made a tripel with one. He made a traditional German beer, uh, which I can't think of the name right now. So he's made he's made a couple of brews with that. And now he's experimenting with turmeric and galangal this year. Uh, he wants to see if he can get that piney flavor to carry through because a lot of mm. people, brewers add hops to their brews for that pininess. So he wants to see if he can get that to carry through to the end for a good taste. Whoa, I wonder if it could be like a low cost replacement for hops. Maybe. Huh. Yeah, Interesting. so much money on Citra. Yeah, well, <laughs> all those and, other copyrighted hops. Well, and so much of those are um, spoken for, even while they're still on the vine, not the mm -hmm. vine, but the vine, as, mm -hmm. as hops are, are on vines, which I just found out last year. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, so many of them are grown on contract that as a, as a starting out brewer uh, in a local town near us, um, it might be, yeah, easier to have a, a grower grow you some galangal. Um, but yeah, keep us posted, Chris, on uh, on what the head brewer tells you about that. Uh, that I'll send you the invite when they tap mm -hmm. the keg. Here we go. <laughs> well, and uh, <clears throat> so, wow, yeah, learned something new today, that's for sure. But all right, so, so we've talked about dollar value returns, familiarity with these crops. Um, let's, for the sake of argument, just say I'm a grower uh, from like the beginning of the podcast and you've got me on board. I'm, I'm interested. I want to try out these crops hypothetically. Um, you may have alluded to this a bit already, but where on earth do I get my seeds? And how do I know a reputable company when I see it to buy seeds from? So when it comes to seed, you know, we're not going to use our traditional seed like we buy tomato, cucumber, what have you seeds. Uh, we're actually going to be using the rhizomes. It's going to be similar to like potatoes, potato seed pieces where you're getting the, the tuber that you're putting in the ground. Um, so with these, we're, with the, all three of them, the ginger, turmeric, and lango, we're using those rhizomes um, that we're going to be sprouting as the seed pieces, so to speak. And the question I always get is, can I just go to the grocery store? grab the ginger that I see on the shelf there and just sprout it. And I often will, I, I recommend to not do that. Um, can you do it? You probably can in a, in a pinch, but we mentioned that bacterial wilt disease uh, earlier, the stuff on the grocery store shelf, there's no guarantee that it doesn't carry or have that disease in it. And so you don't want to plant that in your soil and then never be able to grow ginger again for, you know, after that, because you've introduced bacterial wilt into your garden or into your, your, your bed. So um, ideally you want to source from a, a reputable a dealer who will certify that it is disease-free, which means it's going to cost more, but that certification for disease-free is a peace of mind that you're not going to be inoculating your soil with the disease that will prevent you from growing this crop in the future. So um, it, it, that I think that is an important component of this 
uh, where are you sourced from? Some things that I have noted when I've ordered from different companies, and we've ordered from companies uh, from, uh, from like the Caribbean to like Southeastern US, like far Southeastern US, Hawaii, uh, and then even some down in the Southern US. Some of these places do not consider the fact that we have winter right now. And right now, so it's the end of January, really want to start ordering these at the beginning of January. Um, so the first start of the year is, is when a lot of these companies start taking orders. And usually by time February rolls around, you start, you're going to start seeing sold out uh, stickers on these online retailers. Um, and so, but again, I have noted that some of these dealers, they don't take into consideration that they're going to be shipping into winter weather and they ship anyway. I've received, I've ordered seed pieces to receive them a week later. Great time, great in terms of that uh, time, <laughs> the shipping time, uh, but it it went through like 20 degree weather and I got the rhizomes and they were mush. Um, so these things can't freeze. You don't want them to freeze. It's going to kill them. They won't grow. The reputable dealer will hopefully have something on their website that says, will not ship until this date or you tell us when you want us to ship this um because they don't want you to get their product damn it they they want to make sure you get it and it it'll work for you mm -hmm. um but again some dealers don't think about this because they're not shipping this often to a cold climate area usually they're shipping to uh you know warm year-round area so um it's an important consideration uh, I would say when hunting for this, we can't necessarily promote one company over the other, but look for disease certification um, that you can either specify or they will tell you when they ship it. Um, and uh, and if you want to know where to find these things, just go to Mr. Google Pants and type in ginger seed pieces, and it will come up with a, a list of things. And, um, you know, we we do have some some presentations that we can share also that also list uh, just sources. We don't re recommend one over the other. And I'm assuming the same thing is true with uh, turmeric and galangal as well. So, you know, you don't want them to freeze. Um, reputable dealers won't ship them to you until maybe after your frost date, or they'll ask you for when your last frost date is, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. So kind of all the same as, as for ginger. Yep. Yep. So just, just keep those criteria in mind. Um, and if you're not sure, give them a call. Just just call them and just say, hey, I just want to make sure I can grow this crop this year. I don't want to get mush. And all right. And I'll, and I'll add in going through seed catalogs the last few weeks. I've noticed several different companies are now selling, um, particularly ginger, but also turmeric. I've seen mm -hmm. um, selling plants. That, that's going to be a lot more expensive. You know, if you're doing this backyard and you only want to grow a plant or two, that's probably the way to go. Um, you know, commercial scale, you probably want to get the the seed pieces, but you can get buy plants from. I think I saw them in two or three different catalogs that I haven't seen in the past. Maybe they were there, and I just didn't pay attention because I didn't grow them before. Um, mm -hmm. But you, you are, see, I am seeing them more and more. Yeah, that, that's how I got started. Is it was just my gateway uh, <laughs> drug into growing tropical spices. I ordered live plants, and I was hooked after that. Um, and you can build up your seed stock from some of that too, and you can select for that. Key thing is when you're trying to select for future use is, is 
if there's anything that looks suspect in terms of disease, you get rid of it. You don't save that for planting next year. In a perfect world, if you're going to grow your own seed stock, that stuff never goes in the ground, uh, at least until you plant that crop in the ground. So if you're growing seed stock, if you have access to hydroponics, do it like that or do it in a container just off the ground. Don't let it touch yeah. the soil. Again, we don't think that that bacterial wilts in the soil, but this just eliminates that risk. So your container growing for the first year or your first year or two, you can you know select some good seed pieces to parley plant like a 25 to 30 foot row of, of ginger or turmeric or galangal. And um, yeah, so th that's also one way to, to build that stock versus going to the grocery store and buying stuff that may not sprout or could be diseased. Awesome. Good feedback. Um, so I know a little bit now where to source uh, my, my rhizomes from. Uh, I know a little bit about the options. So I guess um, there are uh, live plants I can buy. So yeah, we've kind of begun to touch on the next question I had for you guys, which is um, uh, telling me a little bit about the germination process of the rhizomes. So yeah, let's say I'm a, I want to plant a 30 foot row um, I don't want to spend all the money on live plants, so now I've got to get rhizomes and I've got to germinate them. Um, I've heard through the grapevine that it's potentially could be difficult uh, to germinate or that uh, maybe it's not difficult to germinate, but that that takes a long time. Um, I'm unaware that conditions required to germinate. This makes me a little anxious as a potential grower to try and, you know, put my money into expensive seed that might go south. Um, to that, I would say personally, you know, you never want to experiment with a ton of cash. Um, I always say like in terms of a percentage of your total production area, you never want to exceed, you know, five to 10%. If it's a working farm that depends on, you know, return on investment for your bottom line, paying employees. So just start out with a little, but yeah, could you speak, could you two speak a little bit to the germination process and steps required? So I will start and just, uh, let folks know about the the study that we did this last year. We had test plot sites in Murfreesboro, Jacksonville, Quincy, Macomb. And we had two different farms, well, actually really three, but but two different farms in Galesburg. And that meant, and, and, and we had our two treatments where one was high tunnel and one was caterpillar tunnel. Um, so that meant we had a lot of ginger, turmeric, and galangal to grow. I think we had about 70 some flats that we Whoa. had to sprout. And so we needed a big space. And so we used a greenhouse. So WIU had a greenhouse and we used probably a you know a length of benches. So 50 feet, probably another 25 feet. So about 75 feet worth of bench space uh, was used to pre-sprout uh, these crops. And I will just say the thing that we learned with that is we had uh, student workers help us with watering and we would probably change the soil mixture when it comes to pre-sprouting these because they're a little heavy handed with the water. So even if there's like, if it's sopping wet or there's like algae <laughs> growing on the top of the, the soil, they still watered it. Um, and so we would probably have grown in a, heavy, uh, a mix that is probably has more perlite in it or maybe more of like a cactus mix or something that's very well drained. Um, now with that said, the pre-sprouting process, it's, um, it, it, it's we have to get a leg up on the season. As we mentioned early on in the podcast, 
you know, out in the tropics in India, this, these are in the ground for up to 10 months. Um, so we have to get them going indoors, you know, ahead of time. We call that pre-sprouting. And we are going to kind of that minimum seed piece size. There's not really a maximum, but that minimum seed piece size, we want it to be about two ounces and we want to have at least two growing points. And you're going to see those growing points are going to be little swollen knobs on, on that ginger, turmeric, um, and, and galango. There'll be swollen points. And that's where the leaf bud, that's where it is. And that's where the leaf comes up. And ideally, you're going to line them up in flats. And you're going to cover that with potting soil. And, and when you put the pieces in the flats, it's like putting a puzzle together. You know, you try to fit as many as you can. I can fit about 20 to 25 per flat. Uh, for ginger, um, probably more for turmeric, and then less for galangal, because galangal is a bit larger. Um, and then cover that with uh, uh, with uh, potting mix, and then you can stack them on top of each other, because it's going to take, for ginger, it can take four to, I would say, eight weeks for sprouting. Uh, galangal, about four to six weeks for sprouting. And turmeric, which takes forever it's actually almost took us three months last year to pre-sprout turmeric. We actually planted, remember this, Ken? We planted just turmeric and it hasn't sprouted yet in the ground at all the test sites. Yep, and then it all just kind of popped up all at once. It, it did. At all across the state, it all just sort of popped up in the very same week, which was kind of astounding. It was pretty neat to, to get those reports of like, hey, our turmeric popped up and then Heard from Quincy, hey, the turmeric came up and then Murfreesboro came up and then the, the pieces that were sitting in my basement that didn't get planted, they they sprouted in the box. And so I'm like, weird. <laughs> so you germinated turmeric for three months and it didn't grow and then it you put it in the ground and it grew? It was very sleepy, yes. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, and um, it, it could have something to do with the weather too. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the weird thing was it, no matter the weather conditions or the, you know, wherever it was, it all seemed to sprout at the same time. Hmm. Um, so it's like, there's some internal clock there that said time to go. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is fascinating. Um, yeah. Plants are cool for, uh, yeah. TLDR. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I would say, um, if you're starting this out, do a flat or two flats worth of whatever spice you want to try. Um, you want some bottom heat um, whenever you're doing okay. this now. And we had the greenhouse. It was pretty warm in there, even in the the early, late winter, early spring. Um, but bottom heat does help. You want to maintain that temperature of that soil around 80 degrees. And then um, that that will help with pre-sprouting. Good well-drained uh, soil mix uh, would or potting mix would be ideal. Uh, and be careful. Don't overwater it because I think we had some rot issues occur because we had some students that would overwater these flats when we were pre-sprouting. Saying you can still do this inside if you don't have a greenhouse yep. available. <clears throat> I do it in my basement, yeah. Now, if you're doing that indoors, do you need a grow light or is it basically just a factor of uh, soil moisture and heat and you could do it in pretty much no light? I say, so there's some, so the big growers, they will have their walk-in cooler and they'll shift their walk-in cooler to a walk-in germination cha chamber and they'll mm -hmm. make it warm and humid in there yep. and they will just stack flats on top of each other there's no light you just have to Got make it. sure that you go in there and you check uh when they start sprouting um mm -hmm. 
And, and so you could do the same. I always say though, so for us uh, gardeners or, or, you know, backyard or smaller growers, I always say, yeah, you might not get a sprouting until like in like four weeks, but you always want to have those lights ready because mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than a plant that whether it's a tomato seed or ginger or turmeric or whatever, it's sprouted and you're not ready to go with lights because that first that first emergence of that that leaf or that cotyledon, whatever it is, it needs a light right away. Right. And it's right. going to get super leggy if you just go a day or two without light. So even if they're not on, it. just just be ready. Have your lights ready to go. Mm. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, Ken is that would... a king is the king of grow lights. So he knows about that. <laughs> Ken, tell me more about uh, your grow light setup. I don't have any yet. And I'm, I'm actually looking in the market. Uh, so at my house, we've had various um, iterations of it. So we've had like the like the stands you can buy. Um, I got one of those from somebody in grad school. They were moving and didn't want to move it, so they just gave it to me. So that saved several hundred dollars. Um, now we've got those big shelving units you can buy for like your garage and stuff. We have one of those sitting in our dining room that we've hooked up grow lights to with the little pulleys that we can raise and lower and stuff we've got three banks of lights so they're the t5 six bulb yep Yep. i have those so just sitting in my basement waiting to be used ours are in our dining room so we've got (laughs) we need to replace all the lights because we basically we started our seeds and then we moved in you know every time you go to the hardware store buy a cactus or two and got a bunch of carnivorous plants under them so lights are starting to burn out so i need to replace all those for start seeds here in a, in a week or two. It's just about that time, getting close, or it isn't, but we're all getting antsy to do something. <laughs> so that's that's my problem. I usually do that too early. Well, folks, that was a lot of great information about growing ginger, turmeric, and galangal. Uh, and we're leaving you at a cliffhanger this week because um, we're going to talk about, now that we've gone through the process of what is ginger, turmeric, and galangal, ordering it, pre-sprouting it, Now we have to get it in the ground, and we're going to talk about that next week. Now, part of this research study that we did last year also includes feedback from you. So if you are a commercial grower, or if you just eat food in general, we have a survey that we would like you to take. Uh, So we're trying to determine, um, and also this will be uh, fed back to the USDA and Illinois Department of Ag, the interest in growing these three spices. And so we do have a survey online. It is so short, it's ridiculous. You'd think, how are they actually getting information from us? Um, But just go to go.illinois.edu slash ginger and you can take our short survey. So it doesn't matter if you wanna grow it or if you just wanna eat it uh, or not, we need to know. Um, So we just like that feedback so we can inform for, you know, is this something worth studying for uh, future uh, research projects? So go.illinois.edu slash ginger. Check us out there. Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension uh, and edited this week by Ken Johnson. Thanks, Ken, for uh, taking a a stab at this uh, editing uh, for this week. So I do appreciate it. And I'll send you lots of pictures. Sounds good. And uh, Nick, thanks for the the questions this week. Thanks for growing us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not a problem. And uh, looking forward to uh, part two of the discussion. So yeah. let's, let's do this again next week. Yeah, let's, let's do this again next week. 
Oh, we shall do this again next week. It's going to be part two of Growing Ginger. This time, we're going to be getting it in the ground. Um, and Nick's going to be asking us more questions about growing this crop to harvest. Um, and then, you know, you can uh, order some and do this in, in your own backyard or in, in your farm uh, as you see fit. So listeners, thank you for doing what you do best. And that is listening. If you're watching on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.